Hello, and welcome to Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast. I'm your host, Matt Cadwallader, and today we have with us Felipe Campante, an associate professor of public policy here at the Kennedy School, whose focus is on understanding the constraints that are faced by politicians and governments beyond elections and formal checks and balances. Felipe, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. So over the last several months, your research has actually been particularly relevant in your home country of Brazil. Um, Brazil's economy is one of the largest in the world, sixth largest by GDP, and it's kind of set to have one of its kind of uh, coming out party, I guess, um, from the 2013 Confederate Cup to the 2014 World Cup and then the Olympics in 2016. But it hasn't exactly been an easy process so far. We've seen uh, protests over um, what people see as government corruption, poor spending on public services, um, and even the spending on those games, those events themselves. Um, Can you kind of help us figure out what's going on in Brazil right now? Well, I think the first thing to, uh, you know, point out uh, with respect to what's been going on in Brazil is how out of character uh, it was uh, with, you know, the the way Brazilians typically have uh, behaved in terms of, um, you know, Brazilians have never been uh, uh, have never had a tradition uh, of you know street political protests and this type of uh, political action. So it was quite surprising to see that bubbling over in the way that it that it has. But as is often the case, uh, once you start thinking about it and 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 uh, trying to understand uh, you know the nature and the driving forces behind that, it's not that surprising or that uh, hard to, to understand, uh, you know, why and, and, and how it, it has emerged. So I think the first thing to, to keep in mind is that the, the coming out party that you were mentioning hasn't been as spectacular as one might have expected. First, because after a few years of, you know, quite impressive uh, economic growth, at least by recent, uh, by the standard of recent decades, the Brazilian economy has uh, stalled a little bit, and I think the, the 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 interaction of the gains that have been obtained in recent years, specifically for certain uh, parts of the population that hadn't benefited as much from previous growth episodes, and this uh, 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 subsequent stalling of the of the euphoria. Uh, and the and the and the uh, economic performance, I think that lies behind a lot of uh, uh, what's uh, then erupted uh, in the form of these protests. Why was that the case? Well, I think there was this segment of the population who uh, used to be pretty much uh, uh, you know alienated from a lot of public services just because of how uh, poor and destitute they were. And all of a sudden, they started gaining quite substantially uh, from you know the fruits of these uh, of this recent spurt of economic growth. So they start getting access to uh, some of these public services, uh, and that has two effects. Uh, on the one hand, these people start realizing that these services are pretty poor. They have started to pay a little bit more in taxes. Uh, uh, they have started uh, consuming some of these services, and they realize that they are not getting, uh, you know, goods bang for their uh, uh, increasing bucks. So you're talking about kind of the poorer classes who are now moving yeah, kind of moving lower middle. The, yeah, sort of like the the the, the uh, you know the new middle class, as people would mm-hmm. refer to uh, in Brazil. 
And now you have the sort of old middle class or, or uh, uh, you know, the segment of the elite that used to uh, um, consume those public services. And now because of this increased demand without uh, any sort of commensurate uh, uh, improvement in, in supply, they start feeling the pressure. And, you know, the services that used to be bad are now even worse. I think the clearest example that I can think about is uh, the Rio de Janeiro subway. That's the city uh, that I was born and raised in. Uh, so that's that's kind of a very salient example. So Transportation was one of the biggest things that was being protested. Exactly. It was a rate hike. Exactly. So it was a rate hike uh, uh, for buses. And this is not at all surprising because public transportation is actually quite terrible uh, uh, in uh, most uh, Brazilian cities. Not all of them, but most of them. And I think the Rio subway is a great example because it used to be great riding on the subway, you know, let's say 15 years ago. It didn't take you much anywhere. It's very small, but the trains were very comfortable. The service was pretty reliable. It was pretty good. Well, right now, it's terrible, basically because it's the same small subway with maybe like three times uh, uh, as many users. And it's crowded. It's unreliable. It's a mess. And people understand and, and, and realize how bad it is and, you know, traffic is the same thing. You know, you have huge increases in uh, uh, the number of cars that are circulating without, uh, you know, better public transportation infrastructure, without better roads. The result are traffic jams. You know, the the amount of hours that Brazilians spend just commuting to work is completely outrageous. And people realize they're not getting the kind of services that they're very high taxes are actually, uh, you know, we're supposed to be paying for. So with that increased tax base, the increased ridership with the subway example, wouldn't you expect more investment to go into the subway system, into the various public services beyond it? Is there a component to corruption that is keeping that from happening? And what kind of corruption is that? I think there's a, a component of poor governance, and corruption is a part of that, but it's not all of it. I think definitely the Brazilian state... Uh, it works surprisingly well in some dimensions, uh, but its priorities are not, uh, you know, are probably not uh, the optimal ones. And obviously, uh, its ability to deliver is hampered by misgovernance, by corruption, and by a certain. Uh, uh, um, I think what's become clear is that the political system, for all the strides that it's made, and we should keep in mind that Brazil. You know, less than 30 years ago uh, was it was under a dictatorship. So it's a relatively young democracy, which on many different dimensions has uh, matured and has uh, uh, um, has functioned very well. But on other levels, uh, in terms of delivery of public goods and of public services, it's performed very badly because of corruption, but also because of a certain uh, uh, lack of responsiveness, uh, uh, and, and, and that's what I think people have been complaining about. And you mentioned the, the, the coincidence, or the, the, the not that much of a coincidence, with the timing of the World Cup and the coming Olympics and the Confederations Cup uh, that was going on as the protests gathered pace. I think that's not a, a, a coincidence, and that's not all that surprising, because that indicated very, very starkly the poor performance in terms of uh, delivery of public services because all of the uh, uh, improvements uh, 
to public transportation, to infrastructure that had been promised. Pretty much all of that was not delivered, and it's pretty clear that it will not be delivered. Uh, uh, you know, it's just a completely, a completely wasted opportunity for that. And on the other hand, you see the lavish spending in the stadiums, which apparently were, you know, a lot. Uh, you know, there was a lot more money spent than South Africa spent uh, four years ago uh, when they uh, hosted the World Cup. That contrast makes very, very clear how uh, ineffective and often, frankly, corrupt uh, uh, the Brazilian government is on all of, these, uh, all of it, its levels, and I think that uh, helped galvanize these uh, protests. So these problems went all the way up to the president, Dilma Rousseff. Uh, she actually responded in many ways to a lot of the things that were happening back in June. Um, how has she responded, and has it been effective? Does she need to go more? Does she has has it actually risked her political future? Well, I think it certainly has. The 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 uh, opinion polls indicate a sh- very very sharp drop, uh, both in terms of uh, you know the public's evaluation of her performance and also in terms of uh, you know voting intentions for next year uh, presidential election. And I, I think her response. I think no one would would really uh, uh, argue, not even her uh, you know staunchest allies would argue that it was uh, very uh, successful. It, 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 it certainly, uh, um, you know, had a whiff of, of sort of uh, not not necessarily desperation, but but not it was not a focused response. It was kind of like all over the place. But I think what's remarkable about uh, the protests in general is how, uh, 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 you know, how untargeted they were to specific uh, uh, political forces. It, they were protests against the entire sort of Brazilian political and institutional uh, uh, establishment. So you didn't really see, uh, you see like a, like a very uh, remarkable loss uh, for Juma in terms of voting intentions, for instance. But the main uh, opposition candidates did not gain all that much. I mean, there was a bit of an exception for Mariana Silva, which is perceived somehow as a little bit less uh, of a member of the establishment, uh, you know, for what it's worth. But the actual opposition didn't gain all that much because I think the dissatisfaction was much more, uh, was much broader than, uh, you know, the current administration, even though obviously, uh, you know, given the fact that they've been in power for quite a while, they, you know, bore a substantial uh, part of that. But it was it was about more than just the government, which I think helps explain how uh, uh, s- sort of surprising the protests were uh, and how hard it was. And I think, you know, the, the, the recent uh, weeks and months kind of uh, bear this out, how hard it was to sustain that momentum, because I think it's hard to sustain protests uh, that are so diffuse in nature. I mean, it's, it's easier when you have like a specific request and then you keep protesting until that request is met. But when your request is for better governance, it's hard to keep, you know, hitting the streets, uh, you know, continuously so, around that. Sounds a lot like the Occupy movement here in the United States. Uh, yes. I mean, I think there are many uh, instances in other countries that people have tried to, uh, uh, you know, draw parallels with. Uh, and I think 
oftentimes they obscure more than they reveal these comparisons. I think like comparisons which seem very timely with you know what happened in Turkey or with the Arab Spring. Uh, I mean, there are some points of contact, you know, namely in terms of how they were organized, sort of like grassroots movements that had a lot to do with, you know, new social media and so on. But these are very different contexts, and it's very different uh, from the from the Occupy movement in the U.S. because the political and institutional context in in, in these countries is, is very different. I mean, Brazil is a well-functioning democracy, unlike certainly you know what we had in the Arab world and arguably in in Turkey with a vibrant press, uh, um, freedom of expression. So this is not, it's not like a, a movement against an authoritarian regime by any means. Uh, at the same time, I think it's not like in the U.S. where there is a background of increased inequality, for instance, that I think the Occupy movement uh, positioned itself very um, you know, explicitly against. In Brazil, actually, inequality has been decreasing substantially uh, over you know last 10, 15 years. Uh, so it's not really about that. I think if you were to think about uh, parallels from other countries, perhaps the better example would be India uh, in recent years where, they, where you saw this sort of massive middle-class movements protesting against corruption and bad governance in general with this sort of relatively diffuse uh, 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 character. And I think in India, it they sort of fizzled out uh, a little bit as seems to be the case in Brazil, but that doesn't mean that it won't have an impact in terms of, you know, the 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 next, uh, you know, short and medium term uh, uh, institutional and political evolution of the country. I think one thing that was very clear in Brazil was that politicians were very, very much taken aback and, you know, frankly scared of the protests, and they were kind of, you know, uh, tumbling upon each other to try to, to respond to those protests, not very effectively, but you but you see you could clearly see them scrambling for a response. And I think you may very well see some uh, repercussions of that in the electoral process and you know more broadly in the in the sort of institutional evolution uh, of Brazil, hopefully for the better in the uh, coming years. So how do you think that's going to look in real terms? I mean, are we st- uh, the investments that are going towards those big events, are they still going to flow towards the wrong sources and just hope for the next elections for things to get better? What, how does it well, work out? I mean, as far as the World Cup uh, uh, is concerned, for instance, I think that ship has sailed. I think, you know, the 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 real useful investments that could have been sort of galvanized by you know the 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 world the, the you know the woke up needs so to speak i think there's just not enough time to get them done and i think it's you know it's it's just uh, uh, out of the question now i think the bigger uh, uh, um the bigger question is to the extent that this uh, uh failure to deliver uh, uh on the promise of the World Cup was a result of a certain lack of responsiveness of Brazilian, the Brazilian political system in general to the demands of large segments of the population, I think that you know, may change. And it remains to be seen uh, you know, how effective uh, this will be. But I think politicians are standing uh, uh, on notice to that, to that, I mean, they at least realize now that uh, uh, there is a there is the possibility of 
this kind of protest and this kind of uh, 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 political engagement, you know, coming up and eventually, uh, uh, you know, biting them in the future. So I think, you know, notice has been served and it remains to be seen, you know, how far uh, the reaction uh, will, go, will go. But I think at least as a, as a, as a break with a tradition of a certain, uh, uh, you know, which may uh, sometimes be overplayed, but I think there is a real uh, sense in which Brazilians have been relatively passive uh, in terms of uh, political mobilization and so on. And I think there are certain institutional features that I've, that my research actually uh, has touched upon that I think uh, reinforce that sort of uh, uh, insulation from the Brazilian political system from this type of pressure. I think that uh, uh, that has changed a little bit. And, and politicians now, I think, realize that there is this, uh, you know, um, threat, which might be dormant, uh, but might be awakened, you know, when they least when they least expect it. Well, Professor Felipe Capante, thank you so much for being on PolicyCast. It was my pleasure. You've been listening to HKS PolicyCast, a production of Harvard Kennedy School. Hear more interviews at hks.harvard.edu/policycast. And join the conversation on Twitter at hashtag policycast. Thank you.